0: He's the star on the stage, but he screams all night, cause he can't get to sleep at all. And his favorite book by the TV light can't stop his madness, played it over and over, and he can't stop the music or
1: remember the ending to his song. It played it
0: much too long.
1: Hello and welcome to the New Ears Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. I'm your host, Jonathan Humphrey. In this episode, we will be discussing the Hall & Oates album, War Babies. It was produced by Todd Rundgren and released on October 19th, 1974. This is unlike any Hall & Oates album I had experienced before, and I'm willing to bet a lot of people will be in the same boat. My guest today is Hamilton Wheeler, and we had a very good talk about it, so let's go ahead and jump to that conversation now. I'm here with Hamilton Wheeler. Hamilton, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm pretty uh, interested to talk about the subject at hand today, but before we do that, if there's anything you want to make people aware of that's not time-sensitive, you know, personal promotion, causes, whatever, now's the time for that.
0: So uh, I'm very active with a nonprofit group called Hope Abounds, and you can look them up at hopeabounds.org. They are a uh, nonprofit cancer beneficiary. So like, you know, if, if you are diagnosed with cancer or they uh, you call these people up and they help you with your bills and getting you to uh, treatments, education, it's just a phenomenal organization. So that's like number one. And then uh, I'm going to have a podcast pretty soon called headphone euphoria. You can find me on Spotify with that. And that's pretty much it.
1: Excellent. Well, it's nice to hear a good cause. We'll put a link to that somewhere in the show notes. So hollow notes war babies before we get too far into anything about the album i want to know this was your recommendation for the show what was your history with hollow notes and what was your history with this album personally
0: i have known about this album's existence for about two months <laughs> um i was always told by the people i looked up to because obviously growing up you know i heard the the 80s hollow notes late 70s 80s uh all the hits that we know and love so I started uh, wanting to listen to, you know, the seventies hollow notes because of what they were, their original intention was the the soul Philly sound. But um, I was always told to avoid war babies, that it was just, that it was just almost like an accident. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, no, nah, I don't worry about that. It's not relevant. And uh, one night at work, I'm on my streaming site or whatever, and I'm just looking through stuff and I'm like, you know what? Like, fuck it. I'm just going to play it. And, uh, and up listened to the whole album and just fell in love with it. It's, it's unlike anything that I've ever heard coming from hollow notes. And,
1: and yet it's, it's still distinctly hollow notes.
0: It is. It's amazing to me that this is the album where Atlantic Records said, bye. Like they, <laughs> they were dropped after this. And, you know, I don't know if you uh, noticed, but the thing that really struck out to me about this album is uh, Todd Rungan is the producer.
1: Yeah. And guitar player for some of it. Oh, he does all the lead
0: work. Um, right. And pretty pretty much all of the the backing band that you hear is Todd Ruggins band Utopia. So this band formed literally making this album, doing all the backing tracks.
1: Well, I I want to say I'm from a similar and different place. I wouldn't have listened to this album had had you not told me to listen to it for this show. But I grew up as a kid in the mid to late '80s, early '90s, and my parents had that like Note's Greatest Hits. I loved the song Man Eater. Like I always had a soft spot for their classics, but there was a certain cheese to it. And I mean, there's a cheese to this and there's nothing wrong with cheese, but it, I, uh, I didn't know what to expect from this album that I was told was going to be so different. And yeah, it was something. <laughs> <laughs> Let me start out by saying this. The, my first initial experience with this album without really focusing on reading the lyrics or anything else all i did was listen to the music and and read the names of the the titles there's still a part of me that feels this way but i almost feel like in a cyberpunk world this is the hollow notes album for a cyberpunk world (laughs) even things that make perfect sense when you hear the song and read the lyrics like beanie g and the rose tattoo sounds like a short story in a in a cyberpunk like collection or something and then there's the you know war baby son of zorro a mutant romance these are all things that build this and it's i don't think it's really about that but when you're hearing it and experiencing it for the first time there is some of that feeling there
0: oh yeah i never really thought of it like that but yeah it's almost it's right
1: there besides the the weird cyberpunk thing, what, what do you think is the main themes of this album? What do you think it's about?
0: I wanted to grasp the concept that this was in fact a concept album because there was a, a little article that I found online. It was for the most part not helpful but it had some interesting theories about uh, you know the beginning of the album and if it was a you know a concept album and I tried to grasp that. But I just, I'm not feeling that. I feel like there's certain songs that connect, but for the most part, it's, it's almost a beautiful disaster. Like they had an idea, they gave it to Todd and Todd was like, all right, let's do this. And then just all this other shit. And it's a beautiful disaster is all I can say, because I think they were a number 89 on the charts with this album. So it was their first chart topping album, but it was 89. Right. And label drops them. The fans were confused. How do you go from this to that? So it was, you know, kind of like how Pet Sounds was for the Beach Boys when it was released, you know, it was just not right for the time. Still, again, it showcases uh, the vocal ability of both Hall and Oates. It showcases the songwriting, uh, which I feel like they're very underrated songwriters. I mean, yes, some of it's cheese, but who cares? Like, it's still good. It still makes you feel good. It makes you feel something
1: yeah i feel like maybe it's not a big concept album with a capital c but there is definitely some thematic things going on here there is a
0: revolving theme and a revolving theme in my opinion is old rock stars and new rock stars like there's a lot of like a lot of like the advice giving stuff like hey kid listen to me i'll show the ticket to the top
1: yeah that well that's going on and then There's this really subtle thing that happens in at least two or three of the songs, but then it's kind of hinted at in other songs. At least twice on this album, if not more, there's a line about using the TV as light and there's almost this like weird illumination of the presence of media that's represented throughout this album, which goes hand in hand with the aging and young rock stars. Like it's, they work together, but it's also kind of its own separate thing. I mean, it's, it's very clear
0: that the seventies were a tough time to live in. You know, th- we don't talk about the seventies a lot, but there's a lot that happened in the seventies. We hear about, you know, the Nixon and uh, Elvis dying, but you don't hear about, you know, the Jimmy Carter situation, the Jimmy Carter administration, that they drew a lot of controversy. Uh, you just don't hear about a lot about the seventies other than disco and lots and lots and lots of cocaine, apparently.
1: And the birth of punk rock. Yeah. But that was also an answer to all of the things going on in the seventies.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like the seventies were probably um, just as chaotic, if not more chaotic, than the eighties. So, and I think this album is a testament to that because because of its chaos.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I have I have another question that might just be a silly question. You mentioned earlier how they kind of had been going for that like Philly soul sound. And it dawned on me listening to this album and putting it against the work of Hall Notes. I know they talk about eyes so often. Is that just a staple of the genre, or do they have an affinity for eyes? You're talking
0: about like, as in speaking of themselves in the in the first person?
1: No, no. As in the the body part, like private eyes. They're watching you. Oh,
0: the actual. Okay, the actual eyes. Wow. Okay, that was a, that was a moment. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it was
1: uh, it was unclear on my part.
0: I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. Uh, a lot of people have a formula and they just stick with it. I mean, name a band that doesn't have a formula. U2 has a formula. ACDC has a formula. You know, Jethro Toll, even in their insanity, they have a formula that works for them. And I guess Holland Oats Oates, to me, would be their ridiculous harmonies. And... Uh, their obsession with eyes i guess it's just their their wheelhouse man
1: their eyes and watching people and yeah did you ever watch yacht rock yes
0: so like to me that was that was just fantastic maybe that's how holidays really are i don't know
1: yeah i they might be (laughs) i guess just to quickly touch on it this album it's kind of hard to genrefy but i would say it's some kind of blending of folky soul and prog rock.
0: Prog rock is definitely in there. If you got Todd Rungan on there, it's it's prog rock all the way. So that's that's there. I would just honestly, i I agree with you, but I also feel that I hear the funk. Um, I definitely hear some Steely Dan influence. That that kind of yacht rock, but also kind of jammy feel. You know, like there's definitely some spots where it's just instrumentation and just sounds and really just exceptional guitar work from Ruggan. i mean just exceptional
1: there are moments and songs that i didn't hate the song they were just not the strongest song on the album for me until it gets to the instrumental breakdowns and i'm like oh this is great
0: this is where you kind of can buy into that theory of maybe just todd Ruggan said you know fuck you do what i say it just had complete control over it i mean you can definitely tell uh, as we go track by track that daryl hall owns this album john oates only wrote like maybe two songs and only sung lead on three so this is definitely a a daryl hall basically in love with todd rungan kind of style album
1: yeah well is there anything you want to say about the album as a whole before we start getting into the tracks
0: no i mean just like i said this is uh so this is the type of album that uh was recorded in 74 like june and july uh, it was released October 19th in uh, 74 and it was recorded at Secret Sound Studios over in New York City. No real stories or anything we can actually grasp uh, as far as research goes. But um, it was their first chart-topping album and uh, it also was the last album they did with Atlantic. So it's kind of like a turn-the-page moment because really after that, they re-released uh, their previous album. She's Gone became like this you know, huge hit in 76 and then they kind of just went on to the sound that we know and love today so this is kind of like a testament of their last hurrah of experimentation before uh they get to the holidays we know
1: yeah well i think it's time we take a quick break and then we'll come back to do the track by track
0: all right sounds good
1: back and we're about to crack into hollow notes war babies we're going to go through every track and we're going to start off with track number one can't stop the music parenthetical he played it much too long places,
0: can't stop the the to
1: a song. You played it much too long so earlier you were saying that uh john oates didn't write as much of this album i believe this is the only song on the album that he has a soul writing credit on
0: uh you are correct and this is one of the only three songs that he sings on as well as the lead anyway
1: yeah and it's also the most of what i expected from a hall and oates album on this whole album Okay, I mean,
0: obviously Daryl Hall is the Paul Simon in this relationship, so I can agree to that,
1: yeah, yeah, well, just you know, I wasn't expecting where they' take this album later, but I didn't feel like the only hint of that in this song is at the very end. But I loved this song, actually, really? This is one of the standouts to me. I just liked the wording of the refrain, and it isn't an overly complicated thing, but it's such a such a great way to describe that aging rock star feeling they're going for.
0: Oh man. And it's so elegantly written as it's a, just a beautiful shit show, man. Like this guy is, he can't remember the ending of his own song. Oh, it's so good. I love it.
1: Yeah. And it just keeps going when it should have been over. But this is also, like I said earlier, this is also the first one where he mentions reading by the TV light. He he starts that little thing off here.
0: Yeah. Right there at the beginning. Uh, he's the star on the stage. He screams all night because he can't get to sleep at all in his favorite book by the TV light.
1: Yeah, and it, it seems like it's an interesting thing to put up right up front at the top of this album, considering the TV light gets echoed. And this one's hinting at reading by the TV light. And I don't know. I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but it's just an. It's interesting that that gets repeated on this album, and it does feel like we were saying every artist has crutches or things they lean into or fall back on, but that doesn't. F- feel like what's going on with the TV light line
0: I mean when I hear that considering the context of the song I'm thinking on the stage he's a star but he screams all night because uh, he can't get to sleep at all and his favorite book by the TV light to me it just sounds like someone that like off the stage he's like this old man with insomnia right he's losing it and he's losing himself he's slowly going mad it's maybe that's a little bit extreme but he's definitely going he's definitely losing his wits
1: I don't think it's extreme because I feel like even the ending of this song implies kind of a madness, like the repeated backing vocals at the end of the the song. Yeah. There's a certain hint of madness to that.
0: So this is actually from what my research says, this is the first album where you really hear the harmonies because they do two different tracks of harmonies. It's like four voices. If you've ever noticed that that's a hollow note standard. And it started on this album. You hear it. It's really expressive in this one. It's really subtle in the later stuff. But this one, it's almost, you can't ignore it. It's like, Jesus Christ. That's Well,
1: and they definitely play with the studio mix on it, too, and the balance. and. Oh, yeah. Rungan,
0: Rungan is notorious for that. I love Todd Rungan. He's another guy I've just recently gotten into. But as a producer, like I think he's highly misunderstood. But I like what the guy does. It's fantastic. I think this is a great collaboration even if it only happened once.
1: Right. I don't think the music to this song is bad, but there, there wasn't anything that really, really stood out to me musically about the song. I mean, it's just a good catchy pop song. Was there something I'm missing? It's definitely a pop song. There's
0: no doubt about it. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure if this was released as a single. It's not my favorite, but it's definitely the catchiest. It's just got, you know, it's just got that rhythm that you can, you can feel and you can kind of jive to it and dance to it you know, it's it's just a regular standard 70s pop song.
1: I, I'm kind of out of things to say. Are you ready to move on to track number two? Let's do it. All right, well, let's hear a little bit of track two. Is it a star? Is
0: <laughs> it
1: What stands out to you the most about this song?
0: This is definitely that Steely Dan jive. That really nice, simple, yet complex drum beat. The jazz diminished chords and just real smooth. You know, very, very nice vocals.
1: I kind of noted that it had a a sort of cosmic groove.
0: It has heavy, heavy, heavy synthesizer. Almost too much. Almost too much. But it teeters on the edge. That's just Rungan doing what he does. Just throwing something random in there.
1: But I like that stuff too, though. Like I love the echoey wet drums that start the song off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can, I can totally dig that. It's just this right here to me is a standout just because number one, I'm a huge Steely Dan fan, but it's just nice to hear vocalist take on such, because there's so much complicated vocal climbing that he's doing on there. You know, then this is another one that Oates sings on and he is just, Tearing it up, man. Like he's just got this beautiful falsetto, but to a nice, you know, slightly complex, simple beat. Well, what's your take on it?
1: It's deceptively simple in a way, thematically, because honestly, when I first heard it without too much thing, I just thought the idea of wishing on a star popped into my head. But as I started to like toy with the lyrics and read them, I realized, well, he talks about his stage smile in this song. So this is another song about being a musician or about a musician and so then the star takes on a total different meaning and there's just a lot of things that could be going on with that like part of the question of this song is is this person interested in a star or is this person interested in me
0: i think that's a normal uh dilemma that anybody with any kind of exposure has so that's just my take on it i mean it's definitely it's definitely a somber song um yeah i will note the guitar work on here I'm a big fan of it's simple yet complex. It's got great tone. It's not too, too long. Uh, it's just, just perfect. Almost.
1: Right. Everything is almost in this song.
0: Yeah. I feel like i they had more time, but you, you can imagine, this is their third album with Atlantic and you know how um, you've heard stories about record companies are probably just pushing them, pushing them, pushing them, pushing up to get this, to get something out. And two months they they recorded this or no I'm sorry not less than that probably like right in a month so I think that had a factor in some of the
1: rushness that you kind of feel yeah but there's always that question too like sometimes it's good to have a little bit of a time pressure and sometimes it isn't and there's no way of really telling either like maybe if they had too much longer with this album it would have been something not good
0: yeah I mean every factor every factor in my opinion. Uh, at least in my experience of recording uh, every factor matters um, to an extent but the more and more I hear this album the more and more I'm still amazed I want more and I thought this was one of those songs that even though it stands out to me I kind of felt like I wanted more once again Todd Rungan just doesn't do what you want to hear half the time (laughs) but that's my take on that one
1: yeah I think we're safe to move on to Beanie G and the Rose Tattoo which is track 3
0: like to say like fun song it's definitely one of those hey kid you know listen to me i'll take you places you know i've been there right you know so it's definitely a cliche topic but i do like the instrumentation and I, and I feel like it's a definitely not my favorite on the album for sure
1: i uh i actually do have it as one of my favorites i i don't know why i'm usually i lean against the pop stuff but I think what's working for me in the less poppy songs on this album is the weird instrumental parts. And when it works all together with the pop, like in a song like this, I'm really pleased to buy it.
0: That's just a product of the times though, man. Pop music back then was great. Pop music now, I mean, that's that's a matter of opinion, but a lot of the pop music back in the day was still really good. It took a lot of talented people to put this stuff together, so... I mean, even now, this album was put out in 74, and here we are in 2021. It's still kind of a weird album. Right. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a weird album.
0: It's, it's not aging like, say, the Doors, who were ahead of their time or anything like that, but it's it's still so intriguing.
1: For sure, and you've, you've said it before uh, multiple times. 1974, it's a really weird time for this to come out, and yet it makes perfect sense i don't know i thought this song was just really rocking which i appreciated and i like like you were saying it's like hey boy i'm gonna show you the ropes or whatever but i also love the way that there there's this whole hint that like yeah you're really good at guitar but there's just something that you're missing like, yeah
0: that's that's the, and that's a line that i like you got your licks but you forgot your soul you play real hot but you leave me cold yeah, you're a technical player, but you have absolutely no fucking feeling.
1: Yeah, I love saying that and making it clear, especially with what hollow notes do. You have to have that feeling or else it, it doesn't work. There's some things where technicality in music is better, but I don't know. You, when you're trying to make emotional songs, you got to have emotion in the music.
0: Yeah. If you don't have emotion in the music, then, then you listen to it. Emotionless music is just like that new wave white jazz you know, just that crazy, just let's just be as technical as possible. Like kind of late Pat the stuff where it's just, we're not doing any kind of feeling. It's just we're writing notes on a page and playing it. And that stuff's great. I can listen to it all day long. And Rungan's very um, keen to that style of playing. But I just don't think that with the advice of the album, it's almost like they didn't listen to the own advice that he was saying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because there could have been some simplicity. There could have been some really good feeling notes being played, but you've got Rungan just sitting there, just doing what he does best. Just these beautiful, you know, runs and leads. And I don't know, man, it's not my favorite. Definitely uh, kind of like a conundrum for me, but I can definitely see why you would like it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a like I said, it's a fun song.
1: And I mean, it to an extent, it reminds me of things that would come from them in the eighties. Only, less synthesizer based and drum machine based. Yeah. There's
0: a lot of synth, a lot of set in this album, more so than others, but this one especially is almost again, teetering on the edge. Right. I do like the message that line I said earlier is it's a really good line. It's a uh, vocal pattern. is very nice. I mean, it's just, it's just a great song And it is the last song that um, John Oates takes lead on. So he's very limited on this album and, We'll see that as we go on.
1: Right. I think we're we're safe to go on at least to track number four. You're much too soon.
0: Don't think I'm blown away by what I am. This is definitely like a yacht rock style breakup song. This is <laughs> the best way. The best way I could put it. Um, I don't know. I feel like this song is probably one of the ones that I have a hard time explaining. That's why I just, I literally, that's what I wrote down. Yacht rock style breakup song, <laughs> but
1: there's just, <laughs> I don't know. This is honestly, this is interesting because this might be my least favorite song on the album. There's another song on the album that I thought was my least favorite, but it does something to me. And this song just doesn't do much to me emotionally but there's still one line in it that i really loved and it's keeping with this whole theme in this album is don't think i'm blown away by what i am it's just a job that keeps me traveling i mean obviously we're talking about being a musician as every song so far has but i think that's a great way of like looking at his job and i don't think that's how either one of them really feels about being a musician but it's an interesting way to talk about it
0: well, you gotta keep in mind, like they're still at their infancy and in their place in history at this point. They're still kind of the young kids that uh, these legends are talking to. I mean, they're definitely not seasoned at this point, at least in my opinion. I mean, I will definitely say that this probably is a song that Daryl Hall wrote to appease Oates.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm almost I'm almost certain of that because it has so much elements, probably the most. Uh, In this album of what they were trying to originally, which was that Philly soul sound vocally, lyrically. I mean, it's a breakup song. It's definitely a heartache. Like the reference that you brought up, of course, it's definitely about a musician that's breaking up with someone, at least in my opinion.
1: It seems like you have some stronger feelings about this song that are a little bit harder to express.
0: It's not really hard to express. It's just this album itself is just really hard even with the two months of me steadily listening to this album, it's just really hard to wrap your head around because it's just so different from what I'm used to listening to. It's, it's literally the sore thumb in the entire discography.
1: I would agree. Like I had a hard time taking notes and it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying it. I was just like, I'm, there's a lot to go into. Which is different than what you're not to say that hall notes don't do complex things but it's just not what you're expecting from a hall and oats album and it takes more to process it as is
0: yeah and i think this is definitely an album that proves that it matters who your producer is a different producer can change everything because they have the power they're essentially hired to make something sellable which obviously this particular producer didn't give a shit about he was just putting together a record I don't think there's anything commercially viable, at least in that time. That was on that album. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know they only had one single. I don't know. What's your take on that?
1: I think I looked at the greatest hits, and maybe Beanie G was on the uh, greatest hits. But yeah, no. I mean, it isn't a commercially viable album for the time.
0: No, and, and and the fact is, is like I feel like that. No matter how long me and you, me and you talk about it and dive into it, we're never gonna know. We're never going to know about that album until Todd or or Daryl come out and actually talk about the album, which they're pretty much it's radio silence. You can't find nothing about it. No interviews, nothing. It's insane.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So do you have any more to add on this song or do you feel like moving on?
1: No, let's go ahead to uh, what on the vinyl closed side one track number five, 70s Scenario.
0: Yes, you called me a prisoner. In a prison of the mass. She said acceptance of the future was
1: freedom from the past.
0: And I laughed and I said, that's all right. Things really ain't that tough. As long as I'm still able to turn the TV. on oh,
1: At the end of the rainbow.
0: Yes. Uh, again, in the bed, sitting and reading by the TV light.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right out
0: the gate, man. Right out the gate.
1: They start this side and end this side with that at the beginning of the song.
0: I did not know that. I learned something. Today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that, that, isn't that interesting? And it feels like, in a way, this plays off of the first song in some ways.
0: I feel like that the way this is being described, it sounds like a younger version of the person in the in the first song.
1: Right. What it feels like is that in the first song, the narrator is third person too. Like it's removed. And in this song, it's more first person. And like you said, it it does feel a little bit younger, but still.
0: He's definitely talking to a woman. She called me a prison of the mass. She said acceptance of the future is freedom from the past. It's definitely talking about like a turning point, I think, in this particular character's journey that kind of led him to the fate that he is so succumbing to.
1: Well, I took the song in as best I could and to like, to break it down exactly to its meaning this one, where I was having a little bit of a harder time, but it was easy to break it down into a feeling. And it was just like the seventies are bleak and grimy. <laughs> That's how this song feels.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially in the bigger cities, New York, Philly, they were all having their trials and tribulations around that time and this is you know right at the end or close to the end of Vietnam so imagine going through all that if you were a teenager in the 60s and you're watching your all your friends get drafted get shipped over there and more than likely they're gonna die yeah it's
1: probably a bleak time for sure but man the instrumental break is so good in this song It's <laughs> so good
0: yeah yeah it really is it's very jammy it's very somber but it's very tastefully somber. It's not so depressing that you want to skip it or you want to take cyanide. It's just the proper amount of somber.
1: It makes this song because at first I was pretty lukewarm to this song, but not that I think it was bad, but it wasn't like exciting me. But then the instrumental part comes in and I just like, oh, this is great.
0: Yeah, this is one of those times that that influence paid off. I thought it was a tasteful, it was a tasteful break. There's a lot of tempo changes in the song all out through the song which I like too because um, you yeah, know that sh- that shows the tightness of your band. I mean, even if it's in the studio I, I mean can you imagine if they'd actually played this stuff live how tight that band would have to be to play some of these songs.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure they never play these songs live either maybe they toured this album and then probably never really played him again except for one or two
0: didn't find any research on it but i can't imagine they toured it because if atlantic dropped them they probably didn't give them enough money to you know to go tour with it um but like i said the research is so slim on this album
1: yeah i will say i think this was consciously picked as the end of of the first side of the record like they definitely sequenced this to be the end of side one
0: yeah oh yeah no doubt about it it's definitely strategically placed yeah to be the end of that side so um and well done for sure
1: yeah i think so too like you know it's different listening to it at digital or whatever but if you're sitting there with that vinyl after this song ends the sound of the needle going off and like it would just leave you with a very much the feeling they are trying to evoke with that song
0: definitely on a journey to find a vinyl copy of this album <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm going to find it
1: oh there's
0: got to be some yard sale somewhere that's selling that album for 50 cents. So I can just nab it.
1: I'm sure once, uh, once things are open up here more, maybe I can find it somewhere.
0: <laughs> Dude, if you find, if you find that you have my email, sir, I will compensate you because that would just be fantastic.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we're ready to start looking inside too. two. Are, are you ready?
0: I'm um, right here. Ready to roll.
1: Uh, well, let's go ahead and take a quick second to listen to a clip of track six. War Baby, Son of Zora. The first time listening to this album all the way through, I was very confused. The second time I started to like formulate opinions on things. And at first I was not very fond of this song, but the more I listened, the more I really like this song.
0: Yeah, it's really fun. Um, I guess my best take on this is that this is definitely your, your Sgt. Pepper ELO uh, style song. Definitely more. Produced in a sense of uh, the ELO sound, but definitely influenced by the Beatles.
1: Yeah, the the audio design in it is fantastic.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, The subject matter is definitely about war, which, you know, the term war babies is, you know, children that are born during wartime, specifically for uh, children of soldiers. So, you know, Daryl Hall, uh, I'm pretty sure it was his father that was in World War II. John Oates, as far as I know, doesn't have any kind of connection, but was, you know, they were still born in that time and they were also, you know, they went through Vietnam. So they're definitely considered the term war babies. So that's kind of like the idea of like giving you the synopsis of the album, I feel like is is what this song goes.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously it's kind of a reference to the baby boomers as well. All the things that they lived through and. I love the, like, hiding under your desk and all the little nods. Yeah,
0: the line at the beginning, he's like, been through Mama, the bomb, and Nam. You know, those are like, at least the last two are are very important parts of our history as far as the Cold War and Vietnam. So, you know, it's definitely the most cynical song on the album, I feel like. I feel like this is a very tongue-in-cheek song.
1: Well, that's what's great about it is the, the cynical nature of it, of the lyrics, plays with the delivery of the lyrics and the music itself to have this weird thing, but then, you know, that whole sideline thing of media, they don't necessarily touch on being a musician in this song, but using the like speaker clips and stuff that continues this kind of TV media theme that they've been threading through the album too.
0: It definitely has a message of, of that time of war. Definitely the most specific in the, in this song. Like I said, very tongue-in-cheek, but also very dark. And it kind of, the music itself kind of gives you that feeling of that time and that tension that even if you were on the battlefield that you were feeling, I mean, everybody in those eras, there was always a sense of paranoia and tension between everybody because like, are the, are the Ruskies going to drop the bomb? Or is my son going to get drafted to Vietnam? You know, it's, it's, it's a very stressful time in our history.
1: That's for sure. But it works in the song. It plays off the tension of it and the humor of it. And this was this was just another standout track for me personally. And like I said, it took me a while to warm up to it, but once I did, I was I was very taken with it.
0: Yeah, um, definitely a standout in my mind as well. The title is a little what, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, but that seems to be a common theme with the, all the song titles in this album. So right
1: yeah. they are a little weird and out of place for hollow notes song titles let's move on later in the 80s private eyes will be watching you here in 74 on track seven i'm watching you parenthetical a Mutant romance. Shore,
0: but
1: that's okay i'm nothing just another dirty spy. with a TV. i, I can't stand it when you Like me? The one who... i don't have that many notes for this song except for the tv light appears again and i don't know is the mutant literal or figurative
0: i got from this song this is a song about a married man who is in love with a very promiscuous woman. Of course, he uses the term whore. Um, It's actually, let's see, the smile on your lips and the shape of your hips excites me and it makes me want to touch you. You're a whore for sure, but that's okay because I'm nothing, just another dirty spy with a TV eye.
1: He combines television and the eye there. (laughs) Yeah, I know.
0: So it's another tongue-in-cheek song, very cynical the, I think the standout is not really the lyrics in this, um, though uh, slightly dark. I think the spacey guitar solo in the middle is a standout in this for sure. Yeah, And the constant, again, the constant tempo changes. It starts out as kind of like this ballad and then kind of goes into this, this jive and then goes back to this spaciness and this delicious guitar solo comes out and then it's all over the place, but it segues so well.
1: Yeah, but like I said, I didn't, I didn't really have many notes about this one. It wasn't as hard to process. And at the same time, it wasn't as easy to process as other things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely the most confusing song. I'm literally, I'm just making um, an observation just pretty much based on the words. I don't think the music and the words went as well uh, as they could have been. So it's definitely, I think it kind of uh, confuses the message of what the song's about. It's still a good song, not uh, essentially a, in its entirety a standout. That guitar solo though is definitely a standout.
1: Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else you wanted to say about I'm watching you?
0: No, let's uh, move on to uh Better Watch Your Back.
1: Yeah, track number eight. Better Watch Your Back.
0: the ground control why jack does what it feels well it stays away then it comes home and
1: never know where what'd you think i like this one i also didn't have that much to say about this one surprisingly i will say i guess it's the end of the second verse but the lines say jackie religion and you ain't mixed well in the past remember when you mashed your fist on the eucharist honey and threw up in high mass
0: love that fucking line
1: <laughs> yeah it's real it's really well delivered too
0: oh man it's yeah This song is, it's another fun song, but it's not like fun cheesy. It's just fun, fucking tight, fucking just driving. Lyrically, it's definitely kind of whatever. But I kind of like the story. It's pretty much like a man that's out of his element. If you're going to continue to give your opinion, you better watch your back. he's, He's definitely out of place. So it's kind of like that fun song where like someone's trying to save somebody's ass because they're they're like Donnie and they're out of their element
1: yeah fair I also just felt like part of it was just like the tragedy of living with a shitty drunk husband (laughs) (laughs) dude country music's been doing it for years
0: you know i mean, good hearted woman being like the top of my list there but yeah it's definitely one of those good-hearted women that love those men that party yeah and that's like uh, that's the beginning of the song uh Jack blasts downtown when he's over the line And then he's a kid again, like his demeanor changes. The moment he steps downtown, it's it's just kind of that nice fluffy narrative where you have the story of this guy who's probably not a bad guy, but he's just a drunk and he says stupid shit and his wife's got to look after him, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: A fun song, not uber technical. If I'd have been a producer, I'd have probably made this a single. This is a catchy song for the seventies.
1: Yeah, this could easily have been the single. And I think Can't Stop the Music and Beanie G, all three of these songs make sense as singles for sure. Yeah. They all capture enough of that.
0: The vocal work is really good. I'm especially a fan of the harmonies on this, you know, because John Oates is a lot like Art Garfunkel. He's a fucking phenomenal background harmony singer and can harmonize with anything. And, you know, even though he's not singing lead on most of the album, like he is putting in his work in this entire album. Right. And his backing vocals are just solid, but you can really, it's really recognizable in this particular song, just his powerful backing vocals and just how much like they complement each other with their tones, their pitches it's, it's good stuff. Like I said, I like this song a lot.
1: Yeah, I definitely enjoy this one. But I think it's time we move on to track number nine. Oh, oh boy! Unless I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> no, no, this, 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 this one right here. Wow. All
1: right. Well, let's take a moment and listen to some of track number nine, "Screaming Through December." What a crew we
0: made up. There was Faustus, burnout from playing too many bars on the Jersey shore, and Sammy almost bald. Mining a hair too much. Back in 64. Me, phase on, out of phase.
1: Okay. This is an important thought that I just want to put up right at front at the beginning of talking about the song. If the point of art is to evoke an emotional response, then this is a very successful song. This song creeps me out. (laughs) Like, I don't think I completely understand the story. It is about musicians. They're talking about musicians again, but I don't completely understand the story of this song, but it feels really dark and it gets crazy in the midpoint and is awesome, but it's creepy.
0: It is
1: the darkest song on the album for
0: sure. Hands down. It's also the longest song and it's not long because there's some crazy instrumentation going on. Like The instrumentation in this is probably the most subtle on the whole album. It is probably the least overproduced. And that's saying a lot for this particular juncture. But to me, like, this is a raw, and I mean raw, raw ballad. I don't think they took to me takes vocally on this. There's a lot of pitchiness in his voice, a lot of anger, and I think they did it on purpose. I'd like to think they did, but it's definitely not the prettiest song or the best, like, vocal masterpiece. It's a very raw, angry Daryl Hall, you know, as angry as Daryl Hall's voice could be.
1: Yeah, it is angry. And what do you make of this story that's being told in this?
0: It sounds like that this particular person is reflecting on bandmates and is just talking about the consequences of, you know, being on the road constantly and doing the things they had to do. Uh, There's definitely a mention and Sammy almost balled from ironing her hair too much back in 64 It's definitely a reflective song. Like the character is reflecting on his past.
1: But it feels like there's an event. There's an event in this song. Like I can't through the lyrics trace it, but it feels like there's some car crash. There's some like either or the band just broke up or there's something that goes unsaid between like the musical breakdown and like the end of the song. And I don't know what it is. It feels mysterious to me musically.
0: I'm right there with you. I have a hard time figuring out what the fuck this song's about.
1: There's definitely multiple
0: stories. And I think it's just one of those songs that maybe he took a lot of drugs and wrote it and just thought it worked out. Or maybe it was just one of those things that was purposely cryptic. I definitely see the car crash you're talking about. I definitely get the feeling of an event. But there's just so much going on and it's very spacey. Like it just bounces back and forth. It's like a Tarantino movie. It goes from this to that, to this, to that. There's no structure to it.
1: It's unsettling in a successful way. Not like I'm like, oh, it's unsettling. I don't, it's successful. I mean, it's definitely supposed to invoke a mood, this song. And it, it does.
0: Oh yeah. You're not going to listen to this song and not be in some sort of very attentive, slightly somber mood. Maybe even angry. Cause there's, like I said, there's just some parts that just seem like there's just some anger coming through. And like I said, not a lot of vocal processing, not a lot of effects at all, really. Just really raw Daryl Hall. <laughs> it's, it's insane.
1: Except for that one line where Faustus speaks to him.
0: <laughs> yeah. I really feel like that maybe it, it could be. This song could just be about nonsense.
1: Well, and also, if you remember, like, we was talking about the cyberpunk thing, like, that's another thing that lent to me. Like, I heard the names Faustus and me phase on out of phase or whatever. Right. Hearing that, like, stuck out immediately and it fits back to my, like, fictionalized, this is the cyberpunk Hollywood album.
0: This could definitely be a soundtrack to some B anime movie or some B movie. Yeah. And, and like, some it definitely has to be sci fi. Like I said, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And like this song, especially, is just one of those songs that it's beautiful, but it's frustrating because, like I said, I don't think we're ever going to really know what this album was about until Daryl Hall and Todd Rungan get together again and just talk about it. And I think they should. I think there's enough interest in this album now that they should.
1: Yeah, I would love to hear about it. I'd love to read more about it. I
0: mean, look, they're doing documentaries about Everything, any topic you want. There's a documentary somewhere on the streaming site for it. And I guarantee you that this Daryl Hall, if you're listening, I would love to interview <laughs> you. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I, I just, I want to know, like, this is definitely this song. Like even now, as we're talking about it, it's it, I'm so frustrated because I just want to know. I want to know what the message is.
1: This song is such a mystery. It really, really is. And it's in a lot of ways captures a lot of this whole album because it's such a mystery but it's really concentrated right here into this big long song yeah it's 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 great but again
0: tell us more (laughs) yeah
1: you you have our attention
0: (laughs) yes yes i'm here with bated breath i'm waiting
1: well should we move on to the final track yeah let's do it all right well let's give him a second of johnny gore and the Sea. obviously uh it's another song about musicians
0: uh and just for the record for the listeners out there uh c is not like the ocean it is the letter c
1: oh yes c eaters what is that c for
0: i didn't get anything from it like they found a c on her back (laughs) and a lead guitar strap in her hand so i don't know if that's uh i don't know well did you did you get anything from that
1: no i really couldn't but Again, like I was saying, when I was when I didn't know the lyrics to the album as well, this is another song title where it leads to being like some sci fi story, some dystopian sci fi story.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some guy named Alligator and he's fucking shut up. It's like, (laughs) Alligator wrecked the bar last night. He's a troublemaker. He's a trouble man. I guess he had fun to some people. Fun is a drag like (laughs) Gator's Lady had to hitch a ride.
1: There's a, a touring band murder mystery is what's going on, I guess.
0: <laughs> yes. I feel that. It's definitely about a bad boy touring. Maybe it's like a Gigi Allen light.
1: You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that was probably a horrible reference. Uh, let me give another reference there. Uh, maybe like an Iggy pop light. Cause I don't know too many people that know who Gigi is,
1: but I would imagine an fair share of this listener base would know gg allen
0: all right then don't cut that then
1: <laughs> no but
0: uh it's definitely a song about like the murder mystery the bad boy the Torin, kind of the badass you know he's probably a punk rocker or a rock and roll guy with like imagine torn jeans leather jacket cigarette in his hand it's kind of that noir kind of cliche feel. Yeah. I, I still don't know what sea, I don't, I don't know who the sea eaters are.
1: But I mean, I imagine that's his band. His band is Johnny Gore and the sea eaters, but I still don't understand why they're the sea eaters, unless they're implying they ate that sea into her back.
0: I would imagine if they're a punk rock band, it's probably something derogatory that I will not say on the air. The infamous c word, right? Depend. I mean, if he's killing people and stuff, he probably doesn't have a problem saying saying that word over the microphone. A lot of times, who knows? Um, I understand why it's the last song on the album, but I don't feel like it should have been the last song on the album.
1: I can see that. I mean, you don't want to leave people with screaming through December. Like you don't want that to be the last thing you leave people with. I don't know. That, I feel like it would have been kind of cool to just be left hanging like that.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's like dude, I've I've seen concerts of uh, jam bands and stuff, and everybody's just all in the zone, if you catch my drift, and then they'll just end with songs like Happy Trails and then just leave. And you're sitting there on this peak, like, are you gonna give us any more? And they don't come out. And sometimes like that mystique works. I feel like that artistically, if they were trying to do like an art album of their actual intention. They should have ended with Screaming with December. You know, I get it. I get why this song is uh, Johnny Gore and the Sea Ears is the last song, because it's kind of, it's commercial-ish. It's not commercial, but it's definitely something to kind of like, you know, lead you out the door. Like, thanks for listening. You know, here's a consolation prize.
1: Yeah. And even though lyrically, there's dark implications of the song, musically, it is an upbeat song.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, you know, and I think that's always been something of, of hollow notes is whether it's their shows, whether it's their albums, they always end on a high note. or They try to, at least musically, to give you that kind of feeling. I, I think it's a good send-off for the album. It wouldn't have been my pick, but, you know, I wasn't alive in 74, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Not like I had much of
1: an opinion on it. I think that that brings us to the end. I mean, what did you want to say as a closing to this album? Don't listen to other people
0: that may have told you not to listen to this album. Just just do it. Just listen to it. You know, it's, it's a 45-minute album. Just listen to it all the way through. Just just give it a shot. I think, is it a masterpiece? Fuck no. But is it horrible? Absolutely not. I think it has earned its place, and I think more people need to listen to it. And just, if for anything, just to realize that that Hollow Notes just aren't these commercial cookie cutter singer songwriters that there was a time when there was that experimentation and that fire in them and that these guys are real musicians and fantastic ones at that.
1: Yeah. To add to that, I think for both better and worse, this is a unique listening experience. Oh yeah. That I think if you're the kind of person that wants unique listening experiences and to expand your tastes, this is something to listen to because it's so unique.
0: Look, if you can sit through the wall You can sit through this album, you know, like, I mean, if you can honestly sit through the wall or something like that, that is considered a masterpiece, which I love that album. not talking smack to Pink Floyd, but you can sit through this album. It's 10 songs. And like I said, like you said, it's a listening experience. It's fantastic. Like I said, not my favorite, but definitely, I'm glad that I know the album. I'm glad that I, I get to talk about it. And I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that someone else like yourself actually listened to it and wanted to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I I was really interested in talking about it. It was a good pick for this discussion. So let me ask you this. Someone comes up to you and is like, I just listened to this album, War Babies. If I liked this album, what else should I listen to? Where would you steer them?
0: I would honestly steer them backwards first and get the whole picture of what they were trying to achieve before you listen to anything else. Abandoned Luncheonette is the one before that. And then the, the first album was uh, Whole Oats. Once you know the whole picture, those first three albums, in my opinion, it's the musical journey of that band. And then everything following that, including the re-release of Abandoned Luncheonette, is then becoming the sound that we know today. So it's really the first three albums, Whole Oats, Abandoned Luncheonette, and War Babies. In my opinion, it explains everything of how they've gotten to where they're at today, as far as their sound
1: right i would definitely recommend listening to their 80s stuff too because it's fun i would say one of the few things i saw is that apparently daryl hall had been working on stuff with robert Fripp, and he was around in the studio robert Fripp being the guitarist of king crimson and i would say this is the second time king crimson has come up on this podcast but i would say if you want to hear more of the proggy stuff definitely listen to king crimson's in the court of the crimson king that's a great album and also something that uh other people might like something that's really different but very similar is the musical act the bird and the bee did an album that's all covers of hollow notes and most of it is more their 80s stuff but they're like i, I don't want to call it lounge indie lounge music but they do a whole album of covering Hall Notes, and, and it's pretty great. And it's nice to hear a woman sing some of these songs. Yeah, that you know oh, and yeah. love already. It's really good. It's worth checking out for people. I think the name of the one where they cover all the Hall Notes songs is Rediscovering the Masters or something. And what was that King Crimson album? In the Court of the Crimson King. Nice. That's a classic of prog rock. One thing about King
0: Crimson is that uh, they're they're hard to find
1: to stream. Oh yeah.
0: But I, I'm sure I could find that, uh, get a hard copy of that and listen to it. Because I've i heard some of their stuff and I can't tell you what I heard or whatever because I was probably really high. But somebody's like, you hey, ain't listen to this. And it was so good. Those guys are fantastic. But I would love to listen to the whole album and maybe talk about that with you one day. That, <laughs> that would, like, I can imagine, and especially that's your wheelhouse. I mean, I take it you're a big fan?
1: Uh, of that album, I mean my music taste goes everywhere so uh which is good
0: because you know i mean i've listened to your other work and i love the one with you and brian talking about Trap called quest that was such a fantastic episode
1: no thanks well it was a pleasure to have you on the show and i definitely would like to have you back at some point in the future
0: yeah man just let me know and we'll talk some more about what we talked about earlier brother
1: yeah well thanks so much for being here today all
0: right thanks a lot brother have a good one
1: that brings us to the end of another episode of New Ears. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and just wanted to remind people that you can check out how to get in touch with us on social media or through email in our show description. In our next episode of New Ears, we're going to be talking about the mile marker album, Futurisms. Personally, this is one of my favorite albums ever and I can't wait to have that conversation. Until then, remember, like, subscribe, review. We appreciate all feedback. Share this podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and take care. is an abandoned mascot production and part of the abandoned mascot network a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs for more information follow us on twitter at abandoned masco one that's abandoned m-a-s-c-o and the number one thanks for listening